It is better to think of church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in church. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, church, and beer. We join our hosts, Tim Curley and Colton Pierce, as they conclude their series examining Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Here is part two of their discussion, beginning in chapter four of book four. Good infection. Good infection. (laughs) Good infection. Uh, I like the way that he starts off this chapter. He talks about the two books. Again, he kind of continues a little bit of uh, chapter three where he talks about these two books um, where he kind of helps explain a little bit about how the father and the son exist at the same time um, and both have been infinite for an immense amount of time. So if you sit there and you say, okay, so um, on a bookshelf, um, there are two books, one on top of the other, um, but both have been there for an infinite amount of time uh, in the past and an infinite amount of time in the future. But you do know that no matter how infinite an amount of time in the past there was, you do know that one cannot be there without the other. You cannot have B on top of you cannot have book B on top of book A without A being placed there first. Does that make sense? So um, which is, again, that's not an easy concept to grasp your brain around. Um, But still, that is how we have to view the father versus the son is that the father has always begotten the son as it lays out in this chapter. Um, But yet you cannot have the son without the father. Um, But yet both are infinite within time. And yeah, I can. So I try to struggle with that as much as you'd like. Um, (laughs) Uh, so yeah, there's never been a time before the father um, begot the son, as far as uh, as far as it's given in scripture. Um, and again, understanding that when they talk about the description of God is love, um, which is a term that we just throw around really loosely, um, but really understanding what that means is that if you say that God is loved, and therefore that means that God has always been loved, but therefore there has to be something for God to love. Um, and we know how finite our lives have been, thanks to science. We know how far back we go. Um, and we know that God has to have loved something. And so we believe that God has loved his son um, as part of that. And so there's therefore, there's two parts that are associated with that. Um, but really what we're talking about in this chapter, um, unless there's something you want to add to that. Um, no, it's good is what he talks about as the title of the chapter, which is the good infection and understanding that um, we oftentimes view God um, and this spiritual deity. And actually he starts off the book this way of just like, you know, uh, God is, you know, if you ask a child uh, what it is, it's this rules and manners and those types of things that you have to adhere to. Um, but actually what it's talking about when he says this good infection is that God is very much like a fire. If you need warmth, God is very much, uh, uh, water. If you're looking to hop in on a hot summer day to get wet. Um, if you are looking for good joy, power, peace, and eternal life, then you have to draw nearer to him in order enough for those things to be achieved. 
um, as far as in the spiritual sense, because people find power and uh, some sort of financial peace or whatever and through other means. But really what we're talking about is the spiritual sense of those things. Um, again, for anybody that's listening to this and thinks that if you follow God, you're going to be promised uh, riches um, in this life, uh, you're in the wrong religion, in my opinion. Um, but really understanding that that is how you have to go. And therefore, when you draw closer to him, you become infectious um, towards other people. So I don't know. That's what I've got on that chapter. Yeah, he's trying to explain the spirit. Yeah. And what it is and what its purpose is. And so he likens it to a club or a family. And he does point out that this, he calls it this third person, is really ethereal and it's hard to grasp. But like you said, the father, the spirit is this thing that just, it, it's like, it's like the force from Star Wars. Um, yeah. So he says, so he, he points out the spirit ex- exists and it is all around us, but that the point of all of this is we're supposed to take our place in this activity. We're supposed to be a part of what the Spirit's doing. And uh, while the Spirit's changing us, and he makes that clear, if you're a believer, the Spirit is in you, and it's impossible for you not to be changed. Now, you know, you can resist and do things outside of what the faith wants you to do. You know, you can, you know, be a drunk, you can watch porn, all that kind of stuff, and you're going to limit what the Spirit can do, but the Spirit's going to change you. And again, it's our it's our responsibility to be connected to that source and, you, and be a part of the whole community that is doing this God is love thing. Yeah. Sitting here, drinking beer, talking God's Keep, you know, before I get into that, yeah, let's do uh, what are we, what specifically are we drinking as beer number two? Yeah, this is the machine head down on the upside. Um, it's pure dankness. Um, yeah, it's got a nice dank flavor to it. Uh, it's a West Coast IPA. Uh, I'm looking at a 6.3 ABV, so not too bad. Uh, made with mosaic, citra, and Simcoe hops. At Machine Head Brewing. The machine head apparently really likes, they fancy themselves on the dank side. So, and if you're not, if you're new to beer drinking or you like IPAs, but you're still not really sure what that dank phrase is, I'm, I'm not sure technically what it is. I've never looked it up, but from what I understand, my view of dank always is kind of wet and musty, kind of, but it's always tasty. Well, I mean, I don't mind saying it on the show, but yes, the closer you are to dankness, the closer you are to uh, the weed taste um, <laughs> in your beer. So, like, again, um, uh, IPAs have always kind of operated on a triangle where you have the pine, you have the tropical, and you have the citrus. Um, but now it looks like IPAs have kind of been making themselves more into a nice little quad um, square where you have uh, kind of this dank flavor that's emerging um, and a profile that people are pursuing in their making of their beer. And it is kind of a nice little mixture of the pine 
um, where it kind of leans into kind of that pine flavor taste. But yeah, there is kind of that element of hemp. And so you may find one that says that it's a dank beer and it can straight yeah. up taste like weed. Uh, I've never indulged in the devil's lettuce myself, but um, I know what it smells like and you you can taste it sometimes. And some of these beers are like, wow. This one tastes more like just really wet. It it tastes it tastes like the uh, forests in the south that are always just wet all the time. And if that's not appealing to you, I understand. But oh boy, it's tasty. I, it's, think, it's, I think it's my favorite flavor profile. It's tasty. Of it's all right. the IPAs. It's really good. And it, when it's done right, it's really really yeah. good. So. And they've done a really good job on that. Well done, you guys. Yeah. Shout out Machine Head Brewing. Tim's flipping through his 2,000-page document that he... All right, the Obstinate Tin Soldiers. I didn't have much on this chapter, personally. Do you have a bunch? This is basically... I'm not going to go into this very much, but this is basically him dealing with what we talked about, at the what my hot topic was, and what he talked about in book one, which is him... This is him just fleshing out again why it was necessary for the Son of God to become a man... And it's just because we were these tin soldiers that he created and we fell into this trap of being self-centered and wanting to exploit others and being insecure and afraid of anything that looked like it was a threat to us. And basically the, the whole Jesus had to come in order to save us from what our natural selves had become. Yeah. Um, so that's basically it. Yeah, I, I just put that again, we're returning to this analogy. So you kind of walked away from it for the past couple of, of chapters, but we're returning to this analogy of, again, we are these kind of like sculptures or these toys, uh, that are coming, um, to life. Um, and that really all he was saying was that it is in our nature to reject, um, being turned into this kind of flesh and bone uh, kind of aspect um, where we need to acknowledge that. Uh, and again, here's what's really hard is that people that, and I wanted to talk about this again tonight because I think it's really important, is that we are asking where do those thoughts come from? Uh, where if you sit there and say, I don't want to, let's say, just so let's say that you're walking through uh target and you're sitting there and i love cookies and cream ice cream so that's what i'm going to use for this example is i sit there and i look at the cookies and cream ice cream on the shelf what keeps me from taking it right there um off the shelf taking a big old spoon eating it all and then just leaving it on the floor right there for somebody else to pick up it's what i want um Right. Like I'm like craving cookies and cream ice cream. I say I don't even eat that much of it. I only eat like uh, 10 bites out of it. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm done. And I just drop it on the floor and just leave. OK. Um, what keeps us from doing that? I know that that seems like a really weird analogy, but where does that come from? Um, you're sitting there and you could possibly sit there and say the laws and you're like, OK, but if we go further and further back before the laws were created, um, we go back all the way to our original, to the original part of humanity, what eventually caused us to sit there and say that this is okay. Where we say, why is it not okay to screw over my neighbor or my brother? Sit there and say that this is a mess that they need to clean up. 
this is not okay. I need to pay for this, those types of things. Why or where is it in our existence or what causes this thing in our brains to sit there and say, that's not okay to do to somebody else. Why do we sympathize? Why do we empathize? And religion tries to hope to acknowledge that question. But yet it is technically against our nature. Because our nature, if you sit there and if you were to act on every single thought that you have in your head, why not? Why not? Why shouldn't you? Why do we have these laws? Is it what you want? And do you want those laws? If you ask most of our kids in our campuses, because I've asked them the questions, is it ever okay to kill people? They say, yeah, well, it's okay in this situation or this situation in this situation. Some of them aren't even legal. So then why is the law the way that it is? Who created it to be that way? And so understanding that our nature is actually not what the law says. And it's even more than that. And what God is trying to get us to do is way more than what the law just says. If you are currently living within the United States, of course, is what I'm talking yeah, I'm glad we didn't do a short shrift on this chapter um, <laughs> like I was going to. So he he uses 10 soldiers to basically as the analogy because he says these are lifeless little inanimate, inanimate objects that just exist on their own. Yeah. But that's not what humanity is supposed to be. Humanity is supposed to be, he, likes, he likens humanity to a tree. Or a single biological organism. Yeah. And when one lives within that framework, one one starts, as you said, one starts questioning like, well, if I just leave my cookies and cream ice cream around, I'm, you know, making a mess for the next guy. We live, so the last... I would say, I'm not sure when it started. Let's say somewhere around the 50s. It's probably when consumerism started. But America has become, um, you can read all kinds of uh, political and religious articles on this. Uh, People have done, thought about this. And I'm glad, like I said, why we didn't go short shrift on this and why you said, said, because this came to my mind. We have become a very atomized society. Um, If you live in the United States, the United States is unique, unlike any other country in the world. And you say, oh, that's got to be hyperbole. And I'm going to tell you it is not. I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico. I've been to countries in Africa. I've been all throughout Europe. I have been to parts of Asia. Every other part of the world is much more community-based than we are. No one lives in large suburban homes that are completely separate from everybody else. Yeah. Where you largely don't know your neighbors. And you can go a large amount. You have to go out of your way to engage with people. 
There are parts of England where that might be a little bit possible, but even then you're talking about basically what we would call townhomes if you live on the East Coast. Uh, again, people don't live unless you're ultra-rich and live in estates. You are engaged in community all the time. The United States has atomized itself in the way it lives and the way it thinks. Both the right politically and the left politically are highly atomized. Everything is about what my rights are. How are my rights affected by the government? How are my rights affected by what this person does? And there is some value to that. But we have hyper, we have taken that to such a level that it is helpful on both the right and the left. And why I'm hoping that through uh, several different changes, and you know, if you're on the right and you don't like climate change, climate change is one of these reimagining things of we can't live in such this hyper world where if I want to shit on my backyard or shit in my city that it doesn't mean anything because after a while if everyone's blowing up their cities and making the, the air bad then the whole world at some point starts looking bad we have to start reimagining things so it's not just well how does it affect me yeah and that's going to require a lot of untangling for us both for everyone in the united states politically doesn't matter on what side of the aisle, I guess, unless you're a libertarian, if you want to remain to be a libertarian. That I, I, it, Colton, you've made a joke. I've even made it, you know, uh, if I've left to my own devices, I'm a libertarian. But the more I become, the deeper I get into my faith and the older I get, that just doesn't work within the Christian framework. And I think that's what he's talking about here is there has to be this level of, and we even we've even done this with the church has done this not everybody yeah but even the church has done this where we've allowed Christians to think well this is just we've allowed ourselves to cower in the corner and just say well this is just my personal faith and I don't want to offend anybody so I'm just gonna what I believe is what I believe and I'm not gonna tell somebody else who's not a believer because that's their thing and this is my thing that's not what we're supposed to do that doesn't mean you're supposed to go around and tell the unbeliever that they're going to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ and and hellfire and brimstone await them yeah but we are not called to sit there and go oh my god i might i might offend my coworker if i talk about Jesus and why and say i'm not a ni- i'm a nice person not cuz i grew up in a nice suburban white home and got a nice education from a fairly well-known uh, college, but it's because I believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I follow what he says, which is to love others. And that's the difference between tin soldiers and... The living flesh. And living flesh. Good. Well, and that, what's important, again, when uh, Lewis is talking about this, he's trying to connect a lot of these chapters together. I won't say all of these chapters together because again, the time and beyond time bit is a little like mind fucking. Um, But again, when we have this good infection, understanding that we are the, the soldier thing is we are, believe it or not, it is within our nature to resist it. And he talks about that later um, when he talks about, are we good men versus uh, nice people Um, or new men or, or versus nice people. Um, but yeah, understanding that it is within our nature, believe it or not, as humans to resist. And if you've never sat there at 
whatever and you've never asked those questions on this is what tim and i have talked about where you've never sat there and said why don't i just grab the cookies and cream ice cream off the shelf and believe it or not this is a very tame analogy with some people often bring up in these situations but if you never sat there and thought to yourself why don't i just grab this cookies and cream ice cream and just eat it now um and just leave it on the floor for whoever wants to pick it up or whatever um kind of stuff um if you've never thought those thoughts, then consider yourself blessed, believe it or not, by the fact that you live in a westernized culture where we have laws and rules in place that create that opportunity to where you don't feel that way because that was the way that you were raised up to be. But if we were to leave Neanderthals to their own devices without any guidance or perception, according to Lewis here, and actually what we believe is that we believe that God was the driving force in bringing us these rules, laws, and regulations to eventually through a steady growing of our morality and our um and understanding empathy and sympathy through that process we were able to allow for this to happen to where we can have these laws in place to where you sit there and you go to the ice cream shop and you sit there and say i don't i sit there and i order it i pay for it and that's what i get and then i eat it nicely and i throw my trash away at the end that's <laughs> It, go get a monkey and the monkey will not do that right uh, right like that is and you're sitting there and you're like well you have higher brain development sure but what caused us to sit there and say even if we have higher brain development why do we sympathize and empathize and that dictates our decision why don't we just do what is best for us there's no high mentality. There's no, oh, this benefits us better if we, like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. There's plenty of proof out there that proves that more oftentimes than not, what we end up doing is scratching other people's back the more than we ever get our back scratched. So it doesn't actually make sense. It's not a fair trade-off. So why do we continue to do it? And so that's the question. But uh, that's where we get to with that. Um then again, it's not a part of your human nature, which is what he's trying to get at. So the next chapter is called Two Notes. I almost want to call this Clean Up on R5. It is Clean Up on R5. Because this is clearly he's, re- he's he thought got about some, something. He got, some, or he got some emails. He got some emails. Uh, he got some letters in the mail to the newspaper, uh, questions or criticisms. So he's got two points. First one is... One is... is it. Why he had only had Jesus and not more than one is a stupid question. Let's not even think about it. God's God. He does what he does. And to question or try to figure out why he did the way he did it is just nonsense. Okay. So what Tim is saying here and actually what I like. So Tim is just like, yeah, like, and that's, that's kind of what Lewis gives you as his answer. Um, but I like the way that he says it. And uh, we talked about this earlier. Is... <laughs> Is God does up does act in a certain set of rules and boundaries and all those types of things. So you'd like to sit there and ask, couldn't God have done this or he could have done this? Could have doesn't technically work on God Correct. because God un- God works under a set of rules and boundaries. So again, it's like walking up to a rock and asking it why it's not a tree. Couldn't you have been a tree? 
Right. You wouldn't ask a rock that like you, right. <laughs> like, you know, type of thing. And so, but because we view God as this, because again, we sit there and we say he's all powerful. So therefore he can change however, what he wants and blah, blah, blah. But no, God acts and works on a set of rules. Believe it or not, whether you like it or not, that is what he does. And again, you see that in the scriptures. Covenants are rules placed upon God. God has placed those rules upon himself to mankind. Do we understand that? He has placed rules and parameters around himself. That's what's so ridiculous. It's like, wait, you think that all of a sudden God doesn't need to play by rules? No, he he literally said that he would. And he has other boundaries and rules. And so that's what's really funny about that, where it's just like, you can't ask a could have question with God. And he does go in to answer it a little bit more. I I don't really care for his answer that much. I think the first one's the best one. Yeah. Where he sits there and says, you can't ask that. Like, because it'd be the same as if you went up to a rock and asked it, can you be a tree? Or why weren't you a tree? So the second cleanup on Al 5 is the notion we just talked about of, of humans being in they are he, he says look humans are part of this organism but they are individuals yes so you are and he, and he says you are loved individually we are loved individually we are different and differences matter however he then says you are not your differences nor your similarities connect you to other people which is something <laughs> in our modern society we really need to you are not connected to someone because they have the same pigments of their skin nor are you disconnected because they have a different pigment of the skin or what uh, sex they are or sexual preference they have those are not what separate you make you individuals or uh, the same and then he finishes with there is a tension between we need to acknowledge there's this tension between individualism, which what I just talked about, what we have in the United States, and totalitarianism. And if we forget our interdependence and our connectedness, then it leads to individualism. I would call it hyper-individualism, which is what we have in the United States. And if we forget the importance of our differences and the varied, our varied roles, then it leads to totalitarianism where we just view everybody as this cog in a machine and neither one is better is neither extreme is better or worse than the other and we have to find this tension so if you're listening to this i'm saying we need to find a better tension from our hyper uh, individualism that we've had in the country for about 50 years and if you when you hear me say that don't jump to oh he's thinking about socialism don't think about it in a political sense do not step out of that framework just think of how you view the world and how you view other people. I have nothing to add because you literally covered everything that I was going to say on the topic. So I, you added a bit more, but that was fine. Um, yeah, it's the whole individualism versus totalitarian. Uh, yeah, totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. Totalitarian. All right. So chapter, <laughs> chapter seven, let's pretend. This is actually my favorite chapter. Uh, the reason why I love this chapter is, uh, is that, yeah, I think that this tackles a little bit more issues than even Lewis led on to, um, in this bit where he says, um, 
uh, our father um, is uh, putting us in the son's place. Yeah. Um, He's sitting there and saying, okay, this is you. And so, uh, yeah. And what I love about this is we are all, he is asking us to all be fakers until we make it. We are all, we are all asked to be, to fake it until we make it. And what actually that means, just so we're clear for everybody that's listening, it means that every single person that says that they are a Christian is a fucking hypocrite. Yes. Every okay. single one. <laughs> That's where uh, Nietzsche's comment about there's only there was only one Christian. It was Jesus. Yes. Yeah, exactly. miserably. Exactly. <laughs> and he goes into this further in other books, which is kind of fun. But in this one in particular is he's sitting there and saying, we are all fakers. He talks about Beauty and the Beast, but actually the one that's most important is he talks about the guy who has the mask on, where he sits there and he says, like, I where he has this mask that presents him as beautiful, and then eventually as when he takes it off at the end, um, he is a beautiful person. In the same way, that's how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to continue to fake it until we make it, and just so we're clear, we will never make it. He does point out two different kinds of pretending. There's yes. the bad, yes. which is meant to deceive and defraud. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can probably imagine someone you personally know who's a Christian or a very public Christian who fits that category of someone who's been very open and uh, of open Christian and then turned out to be just rotten inside. And then the good... And he describes that as us basically acting as if we're being good, but in the process, that's actually transforming our bad, our bad behavior into good results and good feelings. Right. The more, the more you practice it, the more you do it, the better you are going to become at it. And but here's also something that it recognizes that you sit, um, is that there will still be rats in the cellar of your soul is kind of what he gets at. He talks about this kind of rats infestation um, that you have. And yes, there will still continue to be, we don't ever become perfect. Um, we can't. Uh, but yet we still strive for greatness and we still know how to operate with that going on within the, the lower levels, so to speak. And we will get better as time goes on. Again, this is what's so difficult is that we sit there and we've talked about this several times on the show. I feel like it's something that we talk about nightly on this show is that people make mistakes. The rats in the cellar take over the soul. Yeah. And they do dumb ass shit. And that doesn't mean that they don't need to make penance for it or whatever, but that doesn't make them not a Christian. No, and we get mad and use swear words to criticize other christians it's rarely because we think they're not christians it's just because for god's sakes we need to do better right and again this is something that he's going to tackle later where it's like what we want or what we believe and if we actually evaluate what christians or how christians respond in this country is that actually we believe that you know christians or that Christians are only nice people. 
They're only good, nice people. Those are Christians. But meanwhile, if somebody's struggling and they're sitting there and they fuck up several different times, that doesn't mean that they're not a Christian. That's not what the faith is. Understand that every single person out there is trying to fake it until they make it. Everybody's got their own different walks. Everybody's got their own different things that are struggling with and that that they have going on. And so you have to recognize what they're doing and the progress that they're making. Um, and if you are if you are wise enough and strong enough, then come alongside them and help them if you can. If not, take the plank out of your own damn eye first, please. <laughs> Um, he does make the caveat which he made I think in one of the first two books also uh, it's not enough to just do the right thing we have to do the right thing because we want to do the right thing I think that goes back to the wanting to please it's the original part of the of the chapter of like when we're a kid we're, we've got this thing of where we want to please our parents so we want to get the attaboy we want to get the it's not that our parents are loving us conditionally but it's still we want we want to feel like we have earned it in some way of like, oh, I've, I've done something to please my parents. Yeah, and also there's still like speculation out there that believes that, well, I can do this without Christ. Yes. Um, and again, this is kind of what we were talking about earlier where, again, you look at westernized culture and you sit there and say like, well, you can technically say that if you'd like, um, but you don't really understand where it comes from. And so it's very similar to the lady... The way that he says it is it is the lady who sits there and says who there is going to be a bread shortage or a bread famine. And she sits there and says, that's okay. We don't eat bread in this house. We only eat toast. Because you cannot have bread or you cannot have toast without bread. Um, And so therefore you can sit there and say that that's okay. I don't need Jesus because I already have the rules and laws of this land. But believe it or not, these rules and these laws and the moral values that you have are not there without what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I think that that's really powerful. Again, I love the let's pretend chapter. I think that it's really good. Yeah, I mean, just to to, to put in further pin on what you just said and what what i had said before you know he talks about how this isn't just some 12-step program to improve ourselves and, and that kind of thing that that basically as we start to become as we start to live this life of pretending until we get it and then doing the right thing because we want to do the right thing then we start becoming more concerned with our condition our this failed human condition than we are, uh, our our behavior. It's, it becomes bigger than that, which then makes it to where I think, you know, what he, he would say is um, it allows us to be a little more forgiving to ourselves when we do mess up, and it allows us certainly to be more forgiving when others who seem to be, you know, trying to live the way this way um, mess up. Yeah. Because we realize there's still this condition. It's like what uh, this guy Paul, if you're not familiar with the with the Bible, this guy Paul says, why do I continue to do this thing that I know is bad? I continue to do it. And he never says what it is. And there's endless speculation what it is. 
his temper. It's a lot of yada yada. But he says, why do I continue to do this thing that I know is wrong? I continue to do it over and over and over again, even though I keep working and becoming a better believer. And these people look to me as a leader and I'm writing all these letters and helping the church grow and all that. But I continue to do this thing that I know is wrong over and over again. Uh, just so we're clear, Tim says that we don't know. We've actually, uh, it has actually been found out that what he was doing was actually vandalism. He was, he was drawing dick and balls around every single church that he went and he visited. Um, and he was blaming it on a 12 year old boy that was a part of each of the churches. And so, um, that's actually in the scriptures. I don't know why people I thought, like was, skip I over thought it, it was that he was gambling on chariot races. <laughs> well, uh, Ben Hur was racing, so <laughs> how could you bet against him, honestly? <laughs> I, I don't have anything more on Let's Pretend. All right, chapter nine. Lightning's about to come down and spite me. So. Counting the cost. Wait, counting the costs? Hold on. Okay, no. No, wait. Christianity, hard or easy? There we go. I was like, what? Chapter 8, Christianity, hard or easy? Is Christianity hard or easy? I only took one note from this chapter. I, I think that there was good points in this. I think it's simple to say that Christianity is not something that is easy um i think that there yeah the the scriptures contradict themselves um again where where he talks about in where we talk about the 10 soldiers is that you are definitely for anybody that sits there and says it's easy believe it or not you are still going against your human nature um and you have to actively pursue that on a regular basis but what i love is on page 157 in my book he says the christian way is different harder and easier yeah christ says give me all i don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work i want you i have not come to torment your natural self but to kill it no half measures are any good i don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there i want to have the whole tree down i don't want to drill the tooth or the crown it or stop it but to have it out and over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think in innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And this is, like I said, when I said, I said at the beginning of this podcast tonight, is that when he says mere Christianity, again, he breaks it down so damn easy. He makes it seem like that's such a simple fucking thing. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, well, this is your will, so therefore I let it just become me. But really understanding what that means, because Christians have struggled over this for a long time. Of what does it mean to give up thyself? And this is what it means. This is where you sit there and you say, oh, who I am is not enough. So therefore I need to become Christ. And that's what Christian means. It means to become Christ-like. And I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means is that we are laying down everything that we want, everything that we need to be this person over to become somebody else. And that is Christ in our lives. Um, and that is extremely difficult because it goes against again, what we're talking about with uh in in those toy soldiers and the statues 
of understanding that we are resistant against that. But it is what is best for us. Um, and believe it or not, that is the simple part of it is where you acknowledge that, hey, this is what he wants. And so therefore, I must give that to him. So it's simplistic in that element. It is so much easier said than done, in my opinion. What do you think, Tim? Uh, yeah, this is kind of the... He kind of hits on the dichotomy of Christianity. Because uh, at the beginning, he says, you know, if the, a common misconception of being a Christian is it means you gradually become good. And he just says, look, if that's what you... If you think that's what the Christian faith is, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to either give up being good altogether at some point and just say, this is not... it." <laughs> my belief must not have taken or, or I'm not yeah. really a believer or, or you're just going to become very miserable trying to be good. And I think this is kind of what that second one is kind of what you and I were very open about early on in the Genesis's podcast where you and I both came to the conclusion of we had to disconnect the whole afterlife thing because the more that was connected to our faith, the more miserable in particular I did. Um, because you're, you know, you're scared to death. You're not living up to whatever this thing that you're supposed to be awarded to. And then he, it allows him to get into uh, very theological terms that if you spend much time in church or in a Bible study or anything like that, you will hear, which is the idea of being born again that Jesus talks about. Um, again, this is not a self-help or 12 step step program but it is really just giving oneself over over to jesus and he he says at one point you know getting up it's it's a day every day getting up yes and reminding yourself i need to follow jesus today and then he you know he finishes with saying the more this goes back to the previous chapter where he's talking about a condition where Okay, so what does he mean by condition, if you're not sure what he means by that? So most of us in most of us in a religious sense, and I would even say, unfortunately, a lot of Christians think of behavior. So what's the difference between behavior and condition? Behavior is more of the minute-to-minute thing, the moment-to-moment thing of what you're doing wrong. Whereas the condition is just understanding... We are created in these fallen tin soldiers, if you will. There's nothing we can do to fix that. And as soon as we give that over to Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, focusing on that condition and helping Jesus help us, helps us, that he will help us, then that starts leading into a more more of a condition where the right behavior starts occurring. Yes. And if you're listening to this and saying, this all sounds very complicated. Yes, it's, it is. <laughs> it's, as he says, it's, it's simple. The simple thing is understanding. This isn't just me getting up and reading my Bible and trying to do the right thing and turning this into Tony Robbins on steroids, <laughs> but just understanding I am fallen. I need to rely on Jesus. Saying that I'm fallen doesn't allow me to go through life and say, oh, sorry, 
I was a bad person, but you know, we're all sinners. So he ends the chapter with an interesting thought. He says, in one sense, God is the one doing the pretending. Because he sees our true nature, but he's looking at us as if we're these, you know. Yes. He's he because of Jesus, he's treating us as as us us as if we're these perfected creatures yeah. even though we're not and he's saying i know i know you're not but you're on the path yeah again exactly. you laugh every time i bring it up he even brings it up though the way that's why the original belief because it's it's a direction we're going to it's not yeah it's not oh i'm a believer now and everything's changed and i'm this really good person and it's not me uh yeah so that's unfortunate about Christianity. It is, as you said, as and as Lewis said, it is complicated. It is difficult, but it is also it's also easy if you make it so and understand it. Yes. Got any more? Or are you we're on to chapter nine? Let's go to nine. Counting the cost. Nine counting the cost. I don't have a lot on this chapter. I think this one is more talking about again. Uh, what's the difference or like just this idea of well, what does it mean to be called to be perfect um, and making no mistakes? Um, again, it's about what he is going to do within us and what we have to choose to do. Um, and actually, what I love is on page 163 of my book, he says, I find I must borrow yet another parable from George McDonald. Apparently, George McDonald does really well. Uh, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And I think that that's really kind of the heart of what he's talking about in this chapter where it is. Yeah, he is calling you towards perfection. This is something that you're sitting there and saying, well, I mean, like, this is uh, this is a part of my life that I need to fix up. Like, I know that this isn't really good, and I know that this part isn't really good, so let's just fix those two parts, but that's not it. Again, when we go back to the previous chapter and what I had read before is that he wants the whole damn tree. He's come to restore your life in its complexity and its wholeness. Um... And it's all parts of you that he wants. And so he's going to change it for the better. Um, but you have to continually to you have to continue to perceive it as the better version. It's not about what you want. It's about what he wants as far as this mission, this vision that he is casting for eternity and for the world um, that he created. So. Those are my two cents on the counting the cost. Yeah, I. One point he makes um, that I like is he points out that sometimes we mistake complacency for humility. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point. Again, that goes back to my 
the worst apology speech one one, one gives, whether they're a public figure or a one-on-one -on -one person, do not say in the course of an apology that, uh, you know, we're all sinners. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, that's all just kind of assumed in the general, at least Western culture. So stating the obvious dipshit doesn't help in your apology and only makes it worse. So, uh, yeah, steer clear of, you know, we're all, we're, none of us are perfect. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Einstein. So oh, that's I think of that I was gonna when say I hear, asshat, but <laughs> that's what I think when he when he <laughs> says that of you know <laughs> humility and complacency can be uh, can be uh, confused. Um, and then at the end he talks about Christianity, what the purpose of it is, or the church rather, and he says the church exists for nothing else than to draw men to Christ. Again, something I think the church often loses sight of because we just think it's for us to get together. Uh, but it's really for us to bring more people into the tent. Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean we have to follow modern corporate <laughs> ways of marketing or uh, running the church in order to do so. But that is our ultimate goal is to bring more people to Christ. Um, and then he goes on to say, God... Uh, God became man for no other purpose also to bring all of us to him. And then he finishes up by saying that might be the entire point of the universe. Right. All right. We got 10 and 11. I actually don't have a lot on 10 or 11. I think that these ones are kind of self-explanatory. He goes on to them for a really long time. I mean, we'll start with 10, which is... Nice people or new men. Nice people are new men. Again, it just he begins to make the argument, and I'm I'm even closing my book because I just feel like this is really simple. Where it's just, again, we are not. If you pride yourself, he does talk about, and this is something that you could unpack a little bit. Where, again, nice people are. If you if you view yourself as a nice person, um. That can be a challenge um, in your faith walk where if you sit there and say, like, this is someone that I've always been, I follow, you know, again, this Western civilization that uh, Tim and I have talked about where you have uh, this more this uh, Christian ethical model that you have based your life around and those types of things. And so I'm a nice person. It is going to be so much more difficult for you to realize that there's a problem and a need for you. Um, to follow God um, because you believe that you are just supposed to be a nice person. Again, when he talks about the rich um, in spirit and what that looks like and the poor in spirit. Um, and, and it's not just a humbling thing when you sit there and say, like, I'm just trying to be a nice guy or whatever. Or I fall short in this. And it's, no, you need to be constantly improving and understanding where that comes from. Um, and that it is we are being reborn um, or transformed, so to speak, uh, because the analogy that he makes is like a horse trying to grow wings. Um, it is we have our initial element of who we are, and yet there is an added element that we are adding on to us um, to make us better than we had ever imagined before. And so we are new men, not just nice men in my and what I got from that chapter. 
Anything from you on that, Tim? Uh, yeah, a couple quick things. Um, he points out, he spends a little time saying it's really not, not helpful to point out the two neat camps of Christians and non-Christians. Again, I think something that's become been a theme of this podcast, um, and he points out and he uses verses to, or he's he's got verses to back it up, or we don't even really know who a Christian is and who Christians are and who aren't. And you can take that in both directions. You can say there are people who claim to be Christians and they're really not, and there are people that you don't know, you maybe suspect aren't Christians and they actually are. And then he ends the chapter with something I think that's kind of goes back to the previous one. That's a bit of a challenge. And, but it's something we need to keep in mind. I think this one's a little hard. I don't know if this is antithetical to a lot of Christianity, but I don't think it's something we certainly don't, don't talk about in church. But he goes so far as to say, when Jesus said, be, be ye perfect, uh, quoting from 2 Corinthians, that he really meant it. This wasn't like some goal where like, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to run a four-minute mile, but I'm never going to get there. But if I get to like a two-minute mile, I'll be really happy. Right. And what Lewis is saying is, no, we're supposed to spend our entire life trying to get to that four-minute mile. Yeah. And as soon as we tell ourselves that I'm never going to run that four-minute mile, it's, again, it's not that we're not Christians, but we're really falling short of what is expected of us, and we need to understand, no, it is, we will never get perfection, but we need to try to achieve it as much as possible. And th we need to assume or work as if it's achievable. Yeah. Yes. I don't have anything more on that chapter. I thought that one was really simple. And then we move on to chapter 11. Which again, 11, I felt like was just a recap of the entire book where he kind of walked you through step by step where he's like, this is the tin soldier, which then comes to this, which then goes to this, uh, where we say that we pretend and then um, it's not an easy task, but it's also not uh, overly difficult one, depending on how you perceive it. Um, kind of talking about what it means for perfection and then going into that, um, that idea of we are new men and that is who we are. And what does that mean? Um, and new men are, are this vision that Jesus has cast out for us to where we are now able to become what well, he talked about in the beginning of these sculptures that have come to life this now this zios um that he's been talking about um where we are god's chosen people and we are christ's representation or we are the representations of who christ was on this earth um as long as we are adhering to the rest of the stuff that we are supposed to so that's what I got from that. Uh, I'll just end with the last bit of the chapter. Yeah. Which is kind of um, hammering home what was in the previous chapter. Uh, he has this double warning and encouragement. Uh, he points out, you know, nice people. 
uh, well, he first says one of the reasons why it, he's he's once again hitting on the fact that this the the goal of this thing isn't nice people but new people. Yes, and he says this explains why there's so many quote unquote nasty people who become Christians because they're the ones more than anybody else who see that they need this not nice become this nice person but just become a completely transformed person that doesn't at all resemble the person they were were before yeah and then he goes on to say (coughs) excuse me this there's a warning here nice people beware you might be more easily deceived and your fall might be greater yeah because again you go through life thinking well i'm a nice person i do this and i do that and in a lot of cases, the things you think you're nice for are not at all what really God counts as being on the nice side of things, or they're just immaterial or whatever. And he says, you know, nasty people, you you can take comfort because God's just going to destroy you and completely replace you. So this is kind of like, well, I won't go down that. Uh, and then he finishes with God is not in the home. He's not in the improvement business. Yeah. He's in the new construction business. Uh, Niceness isn't good. It's not the ultimate goal. But God, again, he's going back to this thing of the, the, the thing that he talked about a cu- couple chapters before. He wants us to call him father and be sons and daughters of him and be better versions, new, ver- not, not, not better versions, but new versions of ourselves complete, altogether. Yeah. And it is only in that way that we're followers of Jesus. Yes. I think that's good. All right. Well, we hope you have enjoyed this first book that we've done for what we will call the Go to Hell Podcast Book Club. (laughs) That was Uh, mere Christianity. And that was mere Christianity. Uh, We went through the whole book in four episodes my wife tonight asked she's a bit surprised we're gonna go through the whole book in four it is a short book but we did plow through a lot of it uh we hope encourage those who haven't read it to read it if you've read it before again reread it please send us any questions you might have email questions hit us up on twitter or instagram or Uh, if you see us at kawia give us a Give us a question or two. Yeah, if you one of our local listeners, if you have a question or two or a comment or a criticism, hit us up over a slauncher at Kawia. And four o'clock every Friday. Four o'clock every Friday. And <laughs> if you don't think you're, oh no, if you think you're a nice person and you don't need Christianity, I say this nicely: go to hell. <laughs> nice. <laughs>